Welcome back to Raising Tech, a podcast about all things technology and senior living. I'm your host, Amber Barden, and today we have two guests. Our first guest is Brandon Buster from Lee Insurance Agency. And then we also have our Chief Technology Officer, Ryan Pruce from Parasol Alliance. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thank you. Brandon, can you start us off with giving our listeners a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Tell us about your background, your role, and a little bit about Lee Insurance Agency. Sure. Thanks, Amber. So we are an independent insurance agency. We're privately owned. We're based in Iowa. We've worked in the senior living space for about 34 years, and, and we provide insurance and risk management solutions to our clients. So working with roughly 500 folks across the country in 20 states today, we feel like we have a good grasp on it. We partner strategically with our insurance carriers that have been in the space for a long time, and we truly want you know to, to find what's best for our clients from an insurance and risk management perspective. Uh, me personally, I serve on our leadership team as a director of sales that really encompasses helping grow our organization organically, also looking at acquisition opportunities, and, and really leading uh, that charge as, as we look to continue to grow our organizational footprint. Excellent. And our topic today is cybersecurity, which is a very hot topic right now. There's a lot of things going on in the space with insurance renewals and you know potential security risk events and things like that. So it's all stuff we're going to jump into today. Before we do that, Ryan Proust, can you give our listeners an introduction about you? Sure. Well, I'm, the, as Amber said, the Chief Technology Officer. I've been with Parasol Alliance for seven years. Actually, have been working in the healthcare industry for close to 12 years now. So, and have over 20 years experience in IT, supporting all things servers, network, and security related. Excellent. So cybersecurity is a word we hear a lot, right? And it can be used in a lot of different contexts. It can be a buzzword. It can be a tactic to scare people. It can be, uh, you know, used as just in conversation. But what does cybersecurity actually mean? Can we define what that term really means and how does that apply to our clients? Ryan, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, you know, it's cybersecurity is definitely a far-reaching topic. You know, and it's in its broadest sense, you know, you can break it down kind of as the name implies that it's you know security or securing any kind of technology that you may have or come across with relation to senior living it involves you know protecting your critical systems and services against compromise against data loss or theft you know and this generally involves all the normal things that you would hear about like you know antivirus software um, web filtering email filtering, backup and disaster recovery, and you know, patching, things like that. You know, all the normal stuff you'd expect to see in an IT environment. But it goes a step further and also involves things like, you know, ensuring your community is you know, compliant with regulatory standards like HIPAA. Also things like, you know, educating your end users to make sure they're better equipped to identify and deal with you know, potential threats before they actually become compromises. Thanks for that explanation, Ryan. And we actually started taking a look, a closer look at cybersecurity because we noticed a trend starting about last year, about last fall around this time that suddenly uh, several of our clients were having their cybersecurity insurance denied, or they had to put in a lot of new requirements. Mm -hmm. And so this led our company to take a little bit of a deeper dive into what exactly were the new requirements and how do they affect our clients. So Brandon, can you share a little bit on what happened in the industry from your side of things that caused the changes in the cybersecurity renewals? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to. So it's probably several years ago when you know cybersecurity, that buzzword started really coming around. We'd start seeing compromise or, or hacks to some large financial institution, 
large hospitals. Insurance carriers decided, hey, there really is a true risk and true exposure here. Let's create a product that we can go and offer folks, you know, to help them protect from that exposure. So you start with Lloyd's of London, one of the largest insurance carriers in the world, uh, came out with a couple of products. And then before long, we would see a handful of carriers jumping into the industry, didn't really know how to price it because there's no empirical data to show what claims would look like, right? So when you price an insurance product, it's you look at the exposure actuarially, and then you charge a premium that you believe is adequate for that exposure. You know, there were no deductibles early on. Premium was super inexpensive. You had carriers coming in trying to buy folks' business by offering just insanely inexpensive premiums. And then over the last couple of years, we have seen just a ton of of claims. So you have claims frequency and claim severity are two things that will drive uh, rate, right? Frequency is number of claims. Severity is the, the, the damage per claim, right? Or, or, or the economic or non-economic damages or the, the amount that a carrier would have to pay out on behalf of a client for damages sustained. And so in the last couple of years, we've seen an, kind of an exodus of folks just getting out of the industry, cares that that spawned up and start offering, you know, monoline cyber liability coverage. They they got handed, they didn't have it priced accordingly. They didn't really understand their their product, and so they left and exited the market. And those that remain standing today believe that they've priced it accordingly from day one. But now, as, as you mentioned, Amber, they are implementing additional requirements. So, as an example, some cares would only ask three or four questions on what's called a supplemental application to put coverage in place several years ago. Some of those carriers' supplemental questionnaires are two and three pages today. Some of the carriers are implementing penetration tests. They're working with third parties such as yourself to do some of those tests to actually run an assessment. And they're requiring that assessment to be provided before they'll offer coverage or before they'll renew coverage. So MFA uh, is, is a big kind of a buzzword acronym in, in the space that carriers are saying, if, if we don't have proof of MFA being implemented, we will not offer coverage. In fact, we will non-renew uh, and we can't even price policy for it without, without MFA in place. And so those are some of the things we've seen the last couple of years. And, and quite honestly, our insureds don't really truly understand the impact. So they kind of look to us from an insurance perspective and, of course, look to folks such as yourself from a security standpoint. So I think it's imperative today as, as we work with our clients, helping them understand the true exposure and then giving them the tools and resources to put in place so we can then offer them the right coverage at the best price to make sure that, that, you know, that they're covering that exposure. That's really interesting. I was actually really curious to kind of know some of that behind the scenes. So I was wondering, was the insurance agency reacting to a bunch of new claims and incidents, which you just indicated, or was it more like preparing for possible future risk? And it sounds like this was based on actual increase in claims and severity. Can you tell us anything about what those claims have come in at or what they were for? Yeah, I actually have some claim scenarios as an example some of the coverages that, that a, a cyber liability policy will protect is network security and privacy, privacy breach response, business income or loss of income. So if you can imagine your operating system's compromised, you can't bill, whether it's private bill, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, if you can't bill to get your reimbursement, that's revenue that you're losing while your system's down or compromised. And so those are some of the coverages 
that are provided multimedia insurance, extortion, terrorism. You know, as you guys know, some of those buzzwords from your side, but as an example, you know, a network security and privacy breach, a financial institution's employee's laptop containing sensitive client data went missing. Multiple lawsuits are pending by individuals with data have been compromised. The Graham Leach Bailey regulatory investigations ongoing. As an example, right now, total defense costs incurred 700 grand. Wow. Just, just because an employee lost his or her laptop that had sensitive data that required us to go out and hire a, a forensic auditor to, to try to dig in and understand where the breach happened, stop the breach and put protection in place. You know, there's multimedia liability where an online manufacturer inaccurately compared its product to a competitor's product. Uh, it was done online. Lawsuits ensued. Because it was done online, it was done from a website was determined that it, it, it was a cyber security related or cyber liability related offense, 375000 for defense costs. Now, keep in mind, most of the, the expense incurred is defending the policyholder or the insured from allegations or compromise that happened to their system. And on top of the defense cost would be that forensic auditing charge. And my understanding across the country you're looking at three to five hundred dollars an hour for a forensic auditor to come in, you know, and, and do their job to understand where the breach happened to do that analysis. Wow, that's really interesting to hear those specific examples. I want to dive into what specifically communities can do to protect themselves and what are sort of the high um, touch items that they should ensure they have. But I'm just curious, do you have any numbers about the like percentage of increase in claims over the last few years? Yeah, I, I guess I don't have anything factual, but what we try to do internally is we look at our client base and help them understand, you know, what we're seeing. So we're, we've seen probably about a 40 to 50% increase in frequency. So that means almost double, so to speak. So if we had 20 claims before, now we're looking at 30, right? So about a 40 to 50% increase in actual claim frequency. And then the severity is actually becoming a little bit more expensive because of that forensic auditing amount of time required for folks to dive in and, and dig in and, and understand where the penetration occurred. So both frequency and severity are increasing and that's really year over year. So we run that data internally, looking at the prior year, you know, assessing our client base. So that's a relatively small sample size but I do think because of the breadth of our client base across the country, I do believe it does give us an adequate sample size to help folks understand what they can expect going forward. From an insurance premium standpoint, we've seen some premiums go up two and 300%, primarily because folks weren't adequately protected from the security side by implementing you know, MFA as an example, or some of those other security measures, and they didn't have you know, an approved assessment done on their behalf to show some of that security and or vulnerabilities to their system. Yeah, that's definitely in line with what we've seen from our clients. And what we did is we took multiple different insurance questionnaires and we put them together and we developed a score sheet of all the items that we want to make sure our clients have at least discussed or aware of, even if they can't execute on all of those items. So Ryan, can you talk a little bit more about that and what are we seeing are the top items that are required from a technology perspective? 
Yeah, so there's there's a number of aspects. You know, really the best the best way to go about it is is to make sure you're being proactive. You know, there's from a security standpoint, you know, I mentioned it before, but you you know, you want to make sure your end users are getting adequate training around cybersecurity. Also, you know, you want to do regular vulnerability penetration testing, which scans, you know, not just your external networks, but your internal networks as well. And that will identify you know, security vulnerabilities or potential entry points, weaknesses in your networks and servers, things that you can, you know, actively address and, and resolve before they become a compromise. You know, from a, a regulatory perspective, there's the the yearly HIPAA security risk assessments. You know, you definitely want to be doing those and those will help you identify, again, weaknesses um, in line with the HIPAA regulations and allow you to plug those holes. And then, you know, kind of in line with the proactive approach, you know, you want to make sure you're doing routine auditing of just your security in general. So you want to either partner with somebody who knows the the ever-changing landscape of cybersecurity, or even potentially reach out to your insurer and find out what their standards are, what questions they're going to be asking when, you know, it's time to renew your policy, because those things are always changing. So that's something you want to be doing at least once a year, just to make sure that you're keeping up with the evolving, you know, landscape of, of cybersecurity. That's really helpful. And definitely that proactive approach, I think, will help get communities set up to be prepared of the areas in which they may need to make some improvements. Can you speak to any of the specific technology that we've seen that we've had to implement, such as the MFA, and what is the impact of that? Yeah, MFA is multi-factor authentication. It allows technologies to kind of be more secure to technologies like VPN, you know, things that are, are generally targets for hackers, in a sense. It prevents the bad actor from you know, easily gaining access because it requires a second form of authentication. Um, and that's that's probably the most common, you know, the one of the buzzwords you might hear more and more often. But uh, there's other things out there like extra security around email, DNS entries, DMARC. There's also security related things, technology called SIEM which looks for digital fingerprints or behaviors that would identify the elevated use of administrative rights on a network or on a server, you know, kind of you know, newer technologies that really didn't exist five or 10 years ago that are allowing us a real high level overview of the you know, techn- technical environment in general and, and gives us uh, early warning signs if there's any kind of risk of compromise or, or signs of improper use of the administrative or technical systems. I think another thing we've seen that's really important is that end user awareness training. You know, you can make the analogy that you can have all the security that you want, but if, you know, somebody clicks on a link in an email, they're not supposed to, that that could compromise the whole system. So, Brandon, what are you seeing in terms of requirements for that type of awareness or training for the end on the end user side? So from a carrier perspective, I mean, it's really the, the good carriers, I say, the, the carriers that really, I believe, know what they're doing. They have the right coverages in place. They pay claims. They don't try to deny claims. They're really looking for that MFA because, as Ryan mentioned, that does help break down, I guess, the, the amount of penetration. Maybe not the frequency of penetration, but actually get through because of, of the way that's structured. Uh, carriers are wanting and desiring to see an assessment so they can look at and understand the vulnerabilities and then determine does does their policy cover those vulnerabilities? And then what plan of correction is the 
the uh, policyholder, if you will, or the insured, what are they willing to do from a plan of correction standpoint to implement some of those technologies or some of those uh, software, as an example, to offset the vulnerabilities that are found through an assessment? So it's kind of a slippery slope because the insureds don't, as I mentioned before, don't truly understand the exposure. In the senior living space today with, with COVID and some other barriers, staffing, you know, finances are, are, are pretty tight. And so we're, we're trying to help them and protect them. But then when we show some exposure through an assessment or, you know, getting an assessment from folks like you, we show that and then we say, okay, you're gonna have to spend X amount for hardware, for software. So then we can go out and, and get an insurance policy for you. That's hopefully going to save you a few thousand bucks versus the tens of thousands you may have to, you know, from a CapEx to put in. So it's, it's a delicate balance, but I think communication is the biggest. So for us as an insurance agency to understand what the carriers want and desire and then help the insureds understand how it's going to best protect them in the long run to help them justify that potential expense of, of updating and adhering to the assessment. Because really once the assessment's done, they have two choices. They understand what the assessment says, then they have to either adhere to it and put certain things in place so we can best protect them or not. And then it, it, that will have an impact on the premium or the amount of carriers that are willing to, to offer a policy, knowing that there's a vulnerabilities that they're not able to, to adhere to. So it is kind of a, a mixed bag. There's, you know, there aren't a ton of things that the carriers are requiring, but again, they do want to see that MFA in place. And that's almost all insurance carriers today. Uh, and then also they would like and really value and appreciate seeing a thorough assessment to understand where the vulnerabilities are or that certain things are in place against the vulnerability. Yeah, that makes sense. So Brandon, one of the things that we like to tell our clients is that when you're thinking about security, a lot of times it's a trade-off between risk and convenience, right? And some of our clients do, they do choose to go with something that's maybe more convenient, but less secure. So you know, even if they do everything right, you know, they could still get a cybersecurity event. Can you walk us through what would happen? Like what's kind of the high level step-by-step process of what happens if a cybersecurity event does occur? Sure. Well, so one thing that we'll do is we'll ask to review any contracts that they have in place, whether they be vendor contracts, hospital contracts, anything in a contract that stipulates insurance-related requirements or covenants of those contracts that they need to adhere to. And so when we review those, we're looking for things like, are you notification requirements, legal requirements? So inside those contracts, we'll see it. So as an example, if there is a notification requirement, then they need to know if there is a compromise, who are they required to notify and and, in what timely manner and fashion. So in, in healthcare, the senior living space, if there is a breach, they are required to notify, you know, residents, residents' families, vendors that they're working with, whether it be pharmacy, food service, you know, therapy, you know, obviously uh, if they're working with a, a cybersecurity firm, notifying them. But there are certain stringent notification requirements that they have to abide by. And as you are probably well aware, there's a cost to notification. Because of HIPAA and because of the compliance from CMS that is placed upon these folks, there are certain requirements there from a notification standpoint. So system goes down, systems compromised. We want to be notified if, if we're working with them on, on liability. So then we can put the carrier on notice, help them understand. We can reach out to partners that we have or the carrier can reach out to make sure that we're getting the proper folks uh, in place as quickly as possible to assess it. Because you guys may have heard of Kronos. There was a year-ish, year plus and some change ago 
that is still having ramifications on some of our clients from an HR perspective, you know, and that business income. So it's then us saying, where's the compromise? What needs to take place today to mitigate any further penetration and then help them understand here are the next steps that have to take place to, to maintain and keep them up and running. So I, I know that's kind of a long-winded, Amber, I apologize, but it really is on a case-by-case basis and based on the covenants of any contracts that they have that we would then have a, a step approach. If this happens, here's how you respond. And we would recommend that they have that in their EOP or their emergency operating plan because they will, when, when survey comes in, states will go to that EOP and look and see, do, have they done hazard assessments? And what is their protocol if and when a hazard were to arise, which also includes a, a potential cybersecurity breach? Yeah, that's really helpful to walk through that process. And then, Ryan, on the technical side, what is the typical response or what are the action items that can be done if a breach or an incident does occur? And also, can data be recovered? Should they pay the ransom? Can you talk about some of those things? The the answer here really depends on what kind of what kind of measures were in place prior? What kind of prevention was in place prior to that compromise? You know, obviously from an IT standpoint, the first thing you want to do is isolate any systems that were compromised, you know, remove them from any shared network resources or, you know, prevent them from being able to communicate with any other computers to kind of stop the spread. So that's the first step is kind of triaging, you know, identifying and isolating the infected devices. And from there, it's evaluate what was affected. You know, what what data was affected, if any, and how was it affected? Did it get copied off? Did it get encrypted? You know, and and then you start taking steps to to remediate, clean up the infection, restore the data. You know, if if you're you know checking all the boxes, you should have a backup and disaster recovery system in place. In which case, you know, the disaster recovery system could just potentially take over. When you isolate those affected systems and you could have very little or no downtime and the backup system you can use to restore those affected systems. And if if all the systems are set up and in place and, and working correctly, you know, you'll definitely minimize the impact and the cost of recovering from something like that. But on the flip side, if you don't have those protections in place, it can be a very lengthy and costly process to recover. It could ultimately mean a lot of downtime and a lot of lost revenue. So definitely prevention and awareness and that assessment up front is really key to minimizing the damage. Yeah. Well, Brandon, Ryan, this information has been really helpful. I think this will be really useful to our listeners. Brandon, is there any final words of advice you'd want to give before we wrap up? Absolutely. Thanks Thanks for that, because I was going to interject, but I wanted to let you finish. So just as I think through some of this, as I mentioned earlier, and I think you guys are aware, a, a lot of facilities don't quite know and understand their vulnerability and their exposure. What I am seeing, uh, which is probably a testament to what you guys are doing, uh, that being Parasol in the industry, is they're partnering with an IT provider, a cybersecurity firm that's helping protect them. So one of the things I'm seeing is that a lot of folks believe that because they're partnering with a firm, that they're protected and they don't necessarily need the cyber liability because it's extended through their contract. And so that's one of the contracts that I would review uh, because there are what are called first-party coverages and third-party coverages, and not all policies offer both first and third party. So real quickly, a first-party coverage is something that happens to you internally. A third-party coverage is a breach that happens to your system 
through a third-party access, whether it be a vendor. So let's say you're partnered with a pharmacy, you're doing electronic billing, the pharmacy's compromised, and then somehow through your connection with them, it penetrates your system. That is a third-party coverage. And sometimes if third-party coverage is, is deemed to be the culprit, an insurance carrier could deny claims because they're not offering third-party coverage. And so it really is important to understand the difference between first-party and third-party. What is your IT provider, if you're, if you're sourcing that or partnering with that, what are they covering on your behalf? And what are you responsible for on your own independent of that contract? So I would just kind of close with that to help folks understand what their contract entails. Are they getting a, a qualified assessment? and make sure they're sharing that assessment with their insurance provider so they can get the best coverage for the best price uh, as it pertains to cyber liability. Yeah, that's really excellent advice. And would you say that for most companies out there in the world in general, that a cyber incident is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when? A absolutely. And, and the kind of the crazy thing, statistically speaking, there are more cyber incidences and smaller organizations than larger, because most of those smaller organizations haven't invested financially into being secure, but they think that they're they're not targeted, but they are. Again, that's just from what we've seen. When I look at claims, we're seeing more claims from smaller entities than we are the larger corporate entities. We just hear about the larger corporate entities more in the news because they have an appearance of a larger impact. Yeah, definitely. And that is something that we're starting to see that awareness with our own clients as well. I think for a long time, the industry maybe felt like they were immune or they were too small, but that's definitely changing. Ryan, do you have any last words of advice you'd want to give our listeners? Well, sure. Yeah. From a technical standpoint, cybersecurity should really be a foundation, a major component of the IT culture. You know, it's not something you want to just revisit once a year or think about after you've had a a scare or an actual compromise, it should be part of every decision that's made from an IT perspective and built into every process and system in your environment. Again, it goes back to that proactive component. You don't want to be reacting to cybersecurity because at that point it's too late. You want to be on top of things and you want to be proactive and, and be ahead of the game. Yeah, that's that's great. And that is something I tell our clients a lot, along with, you know, the security versus the convenience, but that we want to really view all technology decisions through this lens of security so that we're ensuring that that's built into the foundation of what we're doing. Well, Brennan, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really insightful and great information. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And listeners, thanks for joining us today. You can tune in next time for our next episode. If you have any ideas on topics you'd like to hear us discuss or you'd like to come on the podcast, please visit our website at parasolalliance.com and let us know. And thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.